0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Collisions YYC Current and Critical. I'm your host, Tyler Chisholm. Thank you for joining me today for another good old-fashioned chat. Today's show is brought to you in partnership with our newly minted relationship with SAIT Corporate Training. After 18 months and hundreds of conversations with the leaders, innovators, and the movers and shakers in our city, two things have become abundantly clear. The future of work has arrived, and it always has been all about the people. So whether you're an individual looking to upskill or an organization looking to reskill an entire division, Sate has the team, the curriculum, and more importantly, the advisors to partner with you to build what you need to adapt for the road ahead. Do yourself a favor and take the time to learn a little bit more. Check them out at wwwsateca slash corporate training. And more importantly, give them a call, have a consultation, and find out what Sate can do for you. A warm Collisions YYC welcome to Mr. John Trask. How are you, John?
1: I am fantastic.
0: Excellent. Thanks for coming on. I am, I am really good. It's sunny out. It's Calgary. This will be airing in a few weeks, but we're in that, we're in that, like, it kind of feels like it's more spring than it was a few weeks ago when we all knew it was going to snow a bit more, which it did, yeah. but uh, manda- mandatory uh, weather, weather touch base. You and I got put into touch uh, through Craig Hess over at SAIT, part of our partnership to help promote and bring more awareness to the awesome work they're doing over there at Corporate Training. And you are an adjunct instructor, which I'll ask for a second. I'll show my ignorance always, adjunct instructor, what that means exactly. Digital Solutioning, Blockchain, and Architecture over at Sate since uh, oh yes, yeah, since like right in the middle of the pandemic for over the, over the past year. So maybe it's, let's talk about a little bit of what you do at Sate, and then we'll get into the real fun stuff, which is the the the, the stuff you do the rest of, the rest of your life.
1: <laughs> yeah, perfect. Um, probably an, a year ago now, maybe a little less than that. Sate got in touch with me, and they were looking at running some blockchain programming and emerging tech programming, and uh, We put together a course for them. The first course was called Digital Solutioning, which is a combination of blockchain, artificial intelligence, um, XRVR, and cloud technology. It's really an overview course that um, anybody interested in making a digital transformation or developing a digital solution in their corporation can come in and set set themselves up for success um, with with a very broad overview, not incredibly deep and uh, it's been a great partnership this last year. We've, uh, we've developed a number of courses, we uh, deliver courses every semester, and it's been a lot of fun.
0: And if you guys work, that sounds like, uh, would that be a blend of technical and non-technical people in that course? Like Someone like myself, I'm not a technical leader, but I definitely know that this is the world we live in, so I found myself being attracted to more and more of those more generalists, Like at least so I know the lingo, because man, it turns into buzzword central here pretty quick when you're, if you're not careful. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, the target, is, the target audience of that course is really quite broad. So initially we're looking at providing people with a general overview of a lot of different technologies and not every technical person, I'm a technical person, has expertise in, in every emerging technology that's coming around the corner. Um, and then secondarily, we try to keep the depth of the program enough that if you don't have a technical background if you're a project manager if you work in finance or accounting or any any other area of the business that you can come in and and learn you you can uh, understand what those technologies are how they might fit into your organization and actually we go through a lot of practical examples or case studies of how the technologies are applied by different companies so uh, that's a great start to the program. And then at the back end of the program, we actually walk you through building a digital solution. And that, when I say building, I don't mean sitting down and programming it. I si- I mean, taking a process that you might have and overlaying some technology over that to help you with your process. So the expertise we're looking for and the, ex- the people that we're looking for more so are are those operations people those accounting people, the people who aren't involved with technology day-to-day, but as part of the team, you really start have to start grouping those people together, the IT person with the project manager and the other folks within the organization. So, you know, we're looking at this program as being great for a, a company that wants to under, undertake a digital transformation. And maybe use this as a bonding moment and a learning moment at the start of the project.
0: are you finding a lot of people coming, to the, coming into, into an environment like that and, and just I'm hearing you say like we need to break down silos we have to have kind of multidisciplinary groups in the room to solve because this, this, this process that runs throughout the organization is going to touch a lot of different places and a lot of times where we, we're trying to fix things in silos I would imagine you get people in the room that are like oh geez I need to get so and so in here or I need to get XYZ group at the table because I can't solve this unless I'm, I've got every part of kind of the chain of events if you will
1: mm. oh absolutely we see we see that in many occasions. And as I talk to the students of this course and other corporations, it's always a problem for them. Mm -hmm. I've been implementing technology solutions most of my career, quite often in supply chains. And when we go in and start working with a company, one of the biggest challenges itself is the silos. You have an IT group that um, is there to deliver a service to the organization and they play a key role. But at the same time, The people who are going to be using the system on an ongoing basis really understand the the deep elements of their business and what they're doing and and the intricacies of the customer and the processes. And combining those people is going to produce the best solution for you. So the way that Sates thought this program through and the way we've developed this program is really built around delivering that. One company approach and maybe the kickoff to a one company approach where you do this very early in your project or you do this before a project to get that team aligned.
0: Interesting, like the the bonding moment moment comment you made that that digital literacy that's required to get that kind of alignment in your organization. Uh, what have you seen? Because obviously you said like as you're looking at your resume here, your your LinkedIn resume, you've been doing this for years and and on a globe on a global stage. Where do you see companies in Calgary sit? Like where maybe not even Calgary, where where are we in Western Canada with that literacy versus to you know when you do projects abroad? Are we is there a bigger gap for us on that alignment? Are we just are we getting on the on the train? Are we behind? I don't know. What's your what's your perspective? on where we sit that way. If we are we going to stack rank this thing.
1: Yeah, I think, I think it's hard to pigeonhole a, a community like Calgary or or Alberta into one bucket. And you have companies who are leaders, and they they've been on it for a couple of years now. And you've got companies that are jumping on the bandwagon now. Um, you know, when I look at individual organizations, I can name a handful right off the bat, but that are doing a great job at implementing emerging tech. But by and large, emerging tech is sometimes a little scary to people and it doesn't need to be. (laughs) Okay. And, (laughs) and different companies tend to be leaders and others tend to be followers or late adopters, early adopters, late adopters,
0: yeah early adopters late adopters is is yeah less uh, less derogatory than like yeah yeah you're quick to want to go third and fourth but yeah i've i've heard that calgary has a long list of companies that are excited to be second that aren't always excited to be first again i don't know if it's true i'm just paraphrasing what other people have said to me but i have heard that said before that we do we do have a risk averse environment that way
1: i think you know when you think about it i would maybe look at industries more so than uh mm. than okay. areas um certainly there are industries who are are leaders and early adopters in tech, and, and oil and gas, by and large, hasn't been known to be the early adopter in tech. Um, the risks associated with mechanical tech in oil and gas can be quite high, but the risks related with process-related tech don't tend to be as high, although maybe in a project environment, um, an oil company will look at them at the same level from a risk management perspective.
0: That's interesting. I've had a guest on, they said, you know, hey, if you look at this environment, these are high capital expenditure projects, there's environmental risk, there's human life at risk, the ability to like try and fail and take a chance and see if it works. They're like, that's just not part of that culture. And for good reason. And obviously, they were talking about it on a very large scale. But they said, if you bring that down, that creates a culture that's maybe a little bit apprehensive to, we'll try and if it doesn't work out, we'll learn lots and we'll do better next time when, you know, life and death is on the line without, you know, being flippant with that or environmental concerns or billions of dollars on the table, try and fail isn't something the board really wants to hear.
1: Yeah. You know, I I worked for a number of years in the oil and gas industry and worked for two of the majors here. Um, I was a VP for one of them for, I guess, a five-year period. And certainly safety is paramount. Um, There's a lot of things you can do with emerging tech, if you're looking at artificial intelligence and blockchain and And uh, machine learning, things like that, that maybe are not safety mission critical, but still will make a huge operational impact on the company from a financial perspective or performance or forecasting perspective. And you can build layers of redundancy into those systems so that Mm -hmm. you're getting a good test project to evaluate the technology. Um, We see the technologies working in a lot of industries, Um, Certainly retail, supply chain, distribution, things like that are earlier adopters of technology, finance and banking are earlier adopters of technology quite often. And learning from those projects and bringing in consultants that maybe have experience or new employees who have experience in those other industries certainly can help um, mitigate a lot of the risks associated with a project like that.
0: You might not have worked in this industry, but you've worked on solving a similar problem. Are you seeing, do we have enough of a talent pool here in Western Canada where you're starting to see people, you know, when you're just getting to that point that you're considered experience in one sector, are you seeing jumping and people moving around to, you know, that the concept of blockchain, machine learning, AI, overarching is similar. So I'm going to bring it over and maybe go out of my lane and go to this other f- field where there's more of a need, but maybe not as crowded of a space or just there isn't as much talent. Are, are we getting there? Is that starting to happen?
1: Yeah, I mean, so the people that do exist in the industry certainly are moving relative to some of the projects. <clears throat> One of the challenges we have is there's just not enough of them. You know, I, I went through this uh, project scoping a couple weeks ago, just as an example. It's a genetics program that I'm, I'm designing for a country, and we're, we're going to be doing animal genetics, and I needed a number of people with AI machine learning, blockchain backgrounds in order to, to deal with that, some very strong data scientists. And it's all you know related to crops and cattle, which you think Alberta and Calgary would be quite strong at. There's a real lack of, of talent here. Um, this individual project, I needed 15 people for that. It's probably going to run the better part of a year and maybe even be extended to five years. And Um, After advertising the jobs and looking for people locally, other than my existing team, I didn't manage to find anybody in Calgary. There's there's really a lack of people educated on blockchain or educated on machine learning. And definitely with the combination of those two, it's very difficult to find local talent.
0: And how many, how many, like, what would be the profile of that? Is that a five-year, 10-year experienced individual? And, and I guess, what would be the title, just to get really kind of practical about what we're talking about here?
1: Yeah, so a number of the titles would be what we would consider a full-stack developer, but a full-stack developer with machine learning or blockchain background. Okay. Some of those would be a data scientist. But even at that, you look at a team of 15, probably five of those roles would be entry-level. I know I need to do a certain amount of training in order to get people okay. um, into my company who have experience. So, you know, we're looking at people who, you know, maybe have taken a certificate through continuing education while they're working. Okay. Um, somebody who's a recent graduate of a computer science program. Uh, maybe somebody who's gone to State and taken, uh, you know, a JavaScript developer program and, and wants to learn something more or went to night class and took a blockchain course and wants to, enter into the blockchain world. Uh, my but last, you're, going,
0: you're, you're going eyes wide open that you're going to have to supply a significant amount of leadership to those individuals or mentorship.
1: Absolutely. Or I need to find somebody outside of Alberta who has those skills. So, and, and that's a big reason that I like working with Sate. I want people to come to Sate and take the blockchain boot camp or the blockchain architecture course so that you know, we know of who's out there, who's being trained and who has interest in this field. I, you know, our projects are going to continue to grow. We're going to need more and more resources. It tends to be very project oriented, Um, you know, big sprints of, of six months or a year where you need people on a particular project. And, It's just that much easier if people are nearby and you can actually go and have a physical meeting and sit around a whiteboard and we do a lot of that, you know, the last year we've been working remotely and there's pros and cons to that. But in the end, you know, I would love to have more Calgary trained people that can jump on board, join the team and help us develop blockchains.
0: Is it a is it a fight for talent like those handful of individuals that are here? Are they are we back in the days where engineers were getting headhunted across the street for a couple dollars here, a couple like is it is it like that? Because I always hear there's a shortage, but I'm just curious because you know what you said it's not you you, you bring together a team it's the gig kind of kind of model you bring together a team they work on a project then they disperse and hopefully they're available when you need them again but maybe they would go jump on another project learn some more skills I, I'm curious how that industry is how's your industry for for sharing talent is it cutthroat or does everybody play nice in the sandbox? I don't know, it's maybe a weird question.
1: Yes, <laughs> it's, it's probably, probably a bit of a mix. I mean, there's, there's developers who come on and they work for a month or two on a project and then they jump because they're going to get five bucks more an hour or two bucks more an hour. Mm-hmm. They don't tend to have great employment longevity if their reputation is they're leaving before the end of a project. Uh, f-
0: yeah, fair I'm sure that word gets around pretty, this, this, Western Canada is a big, small town through and through.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, but in the end, you know, at the end of the project, somebody jumps on for nine months or a year, finishes the project. They're going to have lots of opportunity ahead of them, and okay. more so even now with you know the U.S. and and other areas, it's so much easier to work remotely now than it was a year ago.
0: Yes, yeah, so our beliefs, our tech, everything is has caught up with this new reality for sure. Mm-hmm. So for yourself, when you're looking for this talent, um, are we attracting, like, is are you seeing some inbound talent to Calgary or has the work remote allowed people to be like, well, no, I, I don't have to move anymore. Or or maybe I am going to move to Calgary. I knew some someone recently in, in the marketing world. He's like, man, I just can't get a leg up in Vancouver because I can't afford the lifestyle. I'm going to move to Calgary to hopefully work here. Even if he could keep, he probably ended up moving here and still kept his Vancouver job. But a year ago, he was like, I've got to move somewhere that's more cost-effective. And Calgary, quality of life is very high from, a you, you know, affordability and those things are you seeing the types of individuals you know you're looking for coming into our city at all or no
1: so I would say that's a tough question to answer it's a little hit and miss um, certainly people are attracted to Calgary it's a great place, place to live I call it home I love living here um, I do see people move into the city I, I would say for the most pure part people have been coming here for oil and gas jobs and, and that's kind of dried up. Um, and then anybody else that I see, I see skiers come here and they just want to be close to the to the slopes. And maybe uh, maybe they don't even live in Calgary. They live in Canmore um, or somewhere like that. I do see BC residents getting out of Vancouver, selling their house for, you know, a million dollars or more. And plus, 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 here. yeah. For half. Yeah. <laughs>
0: No, it's, there's interesting factors, you know, but just curious from a talent perspective. Um, when you talked about. I love getting a little maybe nerd out a little bit here: blockchain, ma- machine learning, AI, AR. There's so many like buzzwords. Uh, for yourself, what do you see? Like, it looks like you're, you've got a pretty heavy and weighted in blockchain. Or certainly, you're, when I learned your LinkedIn, blockchain comes up more than uh, than other terms. What, what are we looking at for technology? Like, it's all emerging tech. What's finding its way? What do we see over the next couple of years? Kind of, what's your crystal ball around where all these technologies are going to land in terms of their ability to actually impact how we work, how we do business, how efficiently our companies run, or how how well we run as humans even, even at that level.
1: Yeah, I think if you look at some of the big four consulting companies, they're doing studies on how much these things are being adopted and machine learning I think is certainly leading the way. A lot of people jumping okay. into machine learning um, and there's a lot of different ways to look at machine learning. There's kind of the old style hardcore coding which does the more complex machine learning projects and then there's some new easy to use machine learning tools that Maybe somebody with only uh, you know a, a year experience in technology can start deploying machine learning
0: is that where we're getting into more of a modular approach almost I don't want to say the low code no code world, but where these are starting to be compartmentalized and you can start to plug them together. I've been reading a little bit about how it's being democratized slowly, but surely that less and less skills to be able to have access to these tools is that am I am I interpreting that the right way or am I off in that field?
1: yeah, so you know. We do a lot of machine learning in our company, and and you you do have the low code, no code initiatives, and in some of those applications, and those fit really well for some of the simpler applications, and that allows almost yep. any company to jump on board. When you're looking at a more complex solution, you you tend to need to be in that you know coding world. Um, okay. What it is doing is it's creating employment opportunities where people can come in and in a very short period of time become. A blockchain developer and go off and work in cryptocurrency or in um, you know uh, enterprise blockchain style work where it's maybe okay. a supply chain or a bank financial institution something like that and apply their maybe previous banking experience to developing a solution
0: Back to the subject matter expertise to understand the processes and now bringing these new tools to bear to then find out which part of that process you can streamline or make more efficient. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. And then I think the other thing that's really happened in the last couple of years is the models and the complexity of coding have improved where, you know, if we did a machine learning solution two years ago, it was probably a year long project. And now we can pump out machine learning solutions in three months. There's so many open source models that are available for us to use where part of the, the grunt work has already been done and we can just reapply it.
0: We're getting a bit of that Moore's law where we are just exponentially faster and just keeps building on itself, not to, not to plug in an overused buzzy term.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've got a partnership where we use a bunch of machine learning models and it gives us access to over a thousand machine learning models that are pre-built and it's probably cut seventy five percent of seventy five percent of the time out of your typical project,
0: which makes it so much more accessible to companies that just have less cash to invest in that smaller, small to medium versus only being reserved for the guys who have the big the big bankrolls to be able to drive these projects forward over a year, two year, multiple multiple year periods of time.
1: And it really allows organizations on top of that to start doing proof of concepts and actually trying things if they're only going to make a three month investment and your three-month investment maybe is only $50,000 or $100,000 versus that multi-million dollar project that we were talking about a couple of years ago, it's worth testing it out and seeing if you can generate a result before you make the big capital investment.
0: And how much learning happens during that time, right? The willingness to go, hey, this is what we thought we were going to find out. That we found out this other thing that we didn't even know we needed to find out. <laughs> I've heard interesting stories about, you know, don't be so don't be so tied to the desired outcome, but definitely be paying attention throughout the process.
1: <laughs> you know, once you start pointing machines and pointing code at data, there's so many things that come out of it. You know, we when we're doing built machining machine learning solutions, we, we take and we start creating correlations in the data. And we do segmentation and, and we start seeing grouping and things like that within the machine learning itself and uncover um, correlations and data or relationships and data that maybe people didn't understand. And as, And when they start looking at it, they can start looking at, oh, there is a relationship. Maybe we've overlooked that relationship, but now we can use that to our advantage.
0: Out of that three-month, I'm just picking on the three-month timeline, you said, how much of that timeline is just getting your data to a place that it's even usable? Or does the three-month start once you've already done that? Because I've heard that so many times, like, oh, yeah, we're going to run in to try to find a solution, and we realize that our data is nowhere near where we thought it was going to be. And that was actually became the project, was just getting the data in a way that it's actually usable, accessible, cleaned, all the different terms I've
1: heard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so I think that defers really depend on, depending on what the project is. And I'll give you an example for a supply chain project typically with purchasing data and vendor data, that, those are the common data sets. We've got tools now that can auto clean most of that. Um, they've, been, they've been built in machine learning already, the models are already proven, and you know we can run a data set through a machine learning model, kick out all of the errors in a couple of days, and then maybe spend a couple of weeks clen- cleansing it versus historically spending six months cleansing that data.
0: Because I'm assuming there's very like things like new 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 is becoming less frequent. No, we've already done that before, so we already have a model to play against it. Which again, to take something from six months down to three weeks, that's a game. That's a game changer in terms of timeline and spend.
1: Yeah, yeah, Mm -hmm. and it you know it really you look at some of those from a from a labor perspective, that expertise that's involved in that labor. There are so many industry associations and correlations between this data that we can start bringing analogous data in with your data set and
0: Mm, evaluate
1: your data set against other things that have been done just to speed up that process. Um, There's organizations like ECMA and International Standards Organization um, that have done hundreds, if not thousands, probably even tens of thousands of master data projects. And as they're going through these cleansing activities, they put out these databases that we can Line your data up with through you know keywords or whatever the case may be, and just streamline this entire process. Um, one of the programs we work with is completely supply chain related, and the target is to get that data preparation, data cleansing for a multi-billion-dollar corporation down with machine learning to a two-week window.
0: Versus 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 a mu- versus a multi-year. Yeah. So from the learning curve, you know, saying machine learning be at the lead, like the 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 curve of adopt the curve of the curve of available availability or access to this is just coming down. Like we're this is going to be everything is speeding up so much faster. Like you said, within the year, but two years ago we were here. Is it just going to keep getting exponentially better to the point it's literally just point and shoot on some of these things? Like it's going to become so automated?
1: Certainly. Depending on the industry, it's going to become more and more automated and, you know, a broad industry like oil and gas, where you're dealing with, you know, parts and replacement parts and components and things like that. More variables. um, Certainly those are the ones where we can extract data because people who are using bearings, you know, there's large databases and and reference libraries around bearings and rotating parts and a lot of the the equipment in oil and gas. I think where it becomes more complex is when you're talking about services versus goods. So I would say goods will, will get down to the point where it's days or just a couple weeks and putting in any more effort to make it faster than that isn't going to make much of a difference. I think when you're dealing with services, like, you know, uh, an oil company plowing their lot and there's so many variables, you know, you're, you're paying an hourly rate, but, how do you deal with efficiencies from that perspective? Those become more complex because you have to understand the process again versus buying a, buying a replacement part and installing it.
0: Yeah, fair enough in terms of different industries. So next to machine learning, who's, what, who's, who's, who's number two? Who's bringing up number two spot on the list?
1: Yeah, I mean, so, so at the moment, blockchain is probably really filling in the number two spot. It's one of the most sought after jobs in North America right now. Um, we really oh, yeah, have. I hadn't,
0: I, hadn't, I hadn't heard of that. I always heard data scientists is like, was the emerging one for years. And I hadn't heard that. So anything related to blockchain is definitely taking up the, the talent pool.
1: Hmm. So when I look at data science and machine learning, I kind of lump them into the same bucket. A data scientist. Okay. okay. Data scientist needs to have machine learning skills. Okay. And- And a machine learning person probably isn't as valuable without those data science skills.
0: Okay. (laughs) Got it. (laughs) The key, the key, those key points on, on on a resume are basically based on experience. Yeah. And then, and then, and then, and then blockchain, would they have similar components in terms of their skill sets?
1: So blockchain, so data science and machine learning are probably very math focused. Um, Okay. You're, your mathematical capabilities are going to be more of an indicator of success in machine learning in blockchain. um, It's a general programming background and it's really the ability to apply um, process based thinking to computer science. So how do you design a process and how do you emulate that process in Code, So you're building out a smart contract, um, you're building out chain code, and those are reflective of the actual process that occurs on the ground, whether that be a financial process or a supply chain process. So you've got to be able to translate the way we work to the way we work electronically.
0: Okay, interesting. And where, where are you seeing in terms of in, in the industry where blockchain is starting to get the most traction?
1: So I think there's two areas that are probably equally heavy. One is um, supply chains. You look at uh, organizations like Walmart. Walmart adopted two years ago supply chain blockchain for green leafy vegetables. Most of their foodstuffs um, are now moved over to blockchain, and, and anything that requires you know regulatory safety. Um, Reporting or potential recall in the food industry, Walmart is moving into blockchain very quickly, and they've mandated that all of the vendors in the world need to move to blockchain as well.
0: That's when you've got a player like that who who wields the power of influence like they do, and certainly you've always heard the stories of you know once once you become a Walmart vendor, you're you're kind of you, you you fall in line or you don't get to be a vendor. That's interesting the impact that that'll have just by them dictating that.
1: Yeah, and hmm. and a lot of the world is following now. You look in blockchain, Nestle's doing a lot. Um, Maersk, from a shipping perspective, is doing a lot. A lot of the big international supply chain and logistics players are jumping on board blockchain. And, and over the next five or 10 years, it's just going to continue to grow. Um,
0: well, for you there, for those worlds, it was just like just thinking about a recall and then... And, and the logistics of food and how it moves around and all the potential for inf- E. coli, Listeria, bacteria, you know, things we hear more and more about in the media, the ability now to track that back to the source of that problem faster, quicker to stop it. And, you know, we learned through COVID how fragile our food chain is. That's an interesting, when you think of blockchain, like things will still happen, they'll just be able to rectify it faster, I would guess. That's my just assumption of around
1: that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think Walmart's initial thoughts on this, and it's interesting that the VP responsible for food safety at Walmart moved over to the FDA in the United States and is now in running, running food safety programs for the U S government. Um, he, he brought a lot of this about and, you know, their first target was green leafy vegetables and it certainly was E. Coli and things like that. And, you know, when you had an E. Coli outbreak and it was, you know, if, if it was one of the local stores, they would have a hard time tracing back all of the contact points. Mm-hmm. Um, through their supply chain. They have a very sophisticated supply chain. Lettuce sits in, in warehouses and coal storage and trucks and gets distributed by many stores. And And what would happen with Walmart is when they had an E. coli breakout, because it took them so long to retrace those routes, they would just wipe out all of the lettuce in a region and it would cost millions of dollars.
0: Yeah, but it was easier than trying to not be able to find the source. I, yeah, no, that's interesting. I, I, I worked at a, a canning plant years like years and years ago. And I remember one day I'm seeing them taking forklift after forklift of canned corn to the, to the dumpster. And this was like 20 or five years, or 30 years ago. And I said to my uncle who's working there, I said, what's going on? He said, well, they did a spot check and they found a wing of a bird in one of the cans. So they scrapped 10,000 cans before, 10,000 cans after, because no matter what, the rest of that bird was somewhere and they had no way to know, but it wasn't worth the bad press. So just like tens and thousands of product just got scrapped as, as a, well, it was, it, was, it was safer than not because we had no way to know one way or the other. So, sorry, random, random story from my, my way, way, way back past.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and you know, so you take Walmart now, and they've extended that all the way back to the to the lettuce farm in Mexico, all through the packing houses, all the way to wherever it's being delivered here in Alberta, um, and a lot of the food companies are moving that way now. So that's a huge, I guess, play for blockchain. And if people want to work in technology in those organizations, they've got to at least have a rudimentary understanding of blockchain. And if they're involved in developing and and supporting solutions, they've got to have programming ability in blockchain.
0: It's really at a most an oversimplified level. This is no different than you know ten years ago. If you didn't have basic understanding of Microsoft Office or you couldn't use a basic spreadsheet, even the fundamentals of it, that literacy component of what we see as emerging tech is going to be something that all like I don't we don't often have to work in it, but we have to understand it enough because it's going to be part of our of our work environments and our and our private lives going forward. Whether we kind of quote unquote like it or not is what I'm hearing from everyone I'm talking
1: to. Yeah, and Sage recognize that, so you know they've got us in to yeah. do. Uh, a blockchain fundamentals course. It's six hours long. It's gonna give you the very basics of blockchain. You know, you, you dedicate three hours on a Tuesday, three hours on a Thursday, and you're done. You've got a program where you can add that to your resume that you've uh, got some background in that. And certainly you can have a good conversation about maybe how blockchain fits into your organization with, with people there and start talking through some of these problems like food safety if you work in a food organization and how blockchain might be able to help you solve those problems. Um, Right. And then sate has got that inherent, Yeah. You know, they've got their digital solutioning course, the same thing. And digital solutioning is really around. We're going to talk two hours on blockchain, two hours on machine learning, two hours on IOT, two hours on XRVR and RPA. We're going to give you a very basics of all of these. And now your literacy has just stepped up. You know, a little bit about all of these and you're probably a lot more comfortable talking about them. Uh,
0: Being comfortable even to ask more questions because you understand that. What was this? Are you lost me on one RPA?
1: Yeah. Robotic process automation Uh. is RPA. So essentially we can take a program. Let's say if we go to a bank and a bank um, receives a thousand checks a day and somebody would normally enter all those checks in, we can take an image of that check and we can automate the entry of that data into whatever banking system they're using, if they're using SAP or Oracle or whatever banking system. Um, and it's it's really a machine that has um, a little bit of logic that says, if you receive a document and it looks like this, open up SAP and enter that as an invoice or enter it as a receipt or enter it as something. And we, we can very quickly automate Simple processes with only a few decisions in the matter of weeks um, and just have it do that over and over and over again.
0: It's so easy when, for me, and I'm being, again, showing my ignorance here when I think robotics, it's so easy to think of like an assembly line and these, you know, large complex machines, you know, maybe doing a simple task, but it always, there's a vision in my mind that's much bigger than just using something very simple, like uh, an image scanner that then triggers X to do Y. <clears throat> to streamline a process if we all now, when we go to the bank, you don't put your check in envelope anymore. You don't need to enter in the amount. You just put it in and it happens through something as simple as that. But you're right. How, what did that eliminate or the chance of error goes down and all the things that now just work and we take for granted and they, they surround us. You don't even realize it's happening around you as these slowly, these things change slowly around you. You're like, oh, that's different than before. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, do I trust it? Yeah, it worked fine. Okay, great. Never question it again. <laughs>
1: You know, and, and, and you run some of these things <laughs> and it really allows organizations to reposition people to focus on um, non-repetitive tasks where you need people to think, think, a, think a problem through. You know, I've I've seen examples where a bank will come in and they'll have 50 employees just doing key punching, data entry clerks. And the machine right now does that so well. Does it 24 hours a day. Um, and does it you know 99.9% error free if the if the programming has been done correctly
0: mm-hmm.
1: and and now the bank has an opportunity to redeploy those people into areas where you need the human brain you need that decision making capability i've seen the banks take you know departments of 50 people and reduce them to two or three people in 6 weeks because of this automation.
0: Which sounds scary because we've all, you know, the machines will take our job and, you know, all those things. But as I'm hearing, there's going to be such a demand on the other side for those people that are willing to invest a little bit of time, become literate and like around these different technologies. And you said something earlier that really caught me of like, you know, take a course, it allows you to start working in a certain field. And then once you're in a field, it's amazing how then that learning starts to build and grow and your are problem solving, you know, but it requires a degree of, you know, being okay with like stepping out of your comfort zone and a little bit of curiosity and, And and like adaptability. But it sounds like we're going to have such a gap in those other areas that some of these jobs that get eliminated, there is lots of opportunities for people to retool. I'm not saying it's easy, but the opportunities will be there, is what I'm hearing, because there's no shortage of talent gap stories when I talk to people on the show.
1: Yeah, it's maybe scary to take the jump. But, you know, I'll give you an example. I've got a young lady that works for me. Um, She worked in supply chain for four years in in commodity management, category management, Um, really. You know, purchasing and things like that. And she took the jump a couple of years ago, um, wanted to learn how to be a, a blockchain solution architect. And there was enough demand that, you know, I hired her. She's a brilliant young lady. And she became that blockchain solution architect. And now she's doing a great job um, architecting projects and didn't have any programming background, didn't have really an IT background at all. Um, had a business degree and uh, and she very quickly transitioned into the blockchain industry and that should create lots of opportunity for her in the future and hopefully hopefully, all that opportunity is with my company because she's uh, she's a rock star. <laughs> that's,
0: that's awesome. She, she, she knows who she is if, she, if, she, if she's, listed, if she she's does. listed right now. she's smiling right now no I appreciate the you know bringing in a certain degree of curiosity and a certain degree of like hey I don't know how to do it but I'm going to learn and you know it's such a different social contract around like you know I signed up to do a certain thing and well maybe that thing's no longer relevant but hey there's these there's these other opportunities and schools like SAID and some other schools like there seems to be such a movement towards this micro-credentialing and the ability to like give credit to what you do know but then allowing you to go in and whether it's after you know like you said a short program or even after work or in the evenings or, or remote gives you the ability to just start putting your toe in the water of these other technologies to find out like, well, where, where you have interest and where it applies without saying that everything you've learned up to now, it's not wasted, let's just go, go apply it. And actually, it might actually give you a leg up in these industries because you understand how things work in that sector.
1: Yeah, I would absolutely recommend anybody who is in that type of finance role or operational role and, and they want to look at adding technology to their resume you know, start taking those courses at night, or you know, take a couple hours off in the afternoon to uh, go take a course. Maybe even your employer might um, pay for the course for you.
0: It's certainly worth asking, John. I would say, it's, as an employer, I love when people put an idea forward and say, "Hey, I'm thinking about learning something." I'm like, "You had me at learning." I'm like, "I'm I'm already supportive of it." So, hey, curious, we talked about technologies that you see that are doing, like, that are emerging, or that are emerging technologies that are having impact and kind of who's really leading in in the race. Any technologies you see right now that are still, they're just not quite baked yet? We've got a little bit more of this before they start to have traction, and maybe they're getting a lot of, I don't know, if it's virtual reality or just picking random things. Anything you see out there that's got a little bit of buzz right now that you see maybe just isn't isn't mature enough yet, or or are we so quick to kind of grab onto everything now in this world of digital transformation?
1: Yeah, I mean, quantum computers and edge computing and things like that have their Place right now. Um, certainly, I would say not completely baked, but coming down the path. I, I would say blockchain, even to an extent, is not completely mainstream. I think you know of large corporations in Canada. I think Deloitte, you know, had over fifty to sixty percent of those corporations are implementing a blockchain right now. I think the biggest challenge for individuals when they're looking at implementing these technologies is how do you apply them? And I don't know that every organization and even every IT department has a really good solid understanding of what's a good fit and what's a bad fit. And we end up getting calls quite often uh, from corporations that want to implement a blockchain and, you know, their concept of where to implement that blockchain isn't a fully baked idea. Although the technology fits a lot of applications, fits supply chain, fits finance, fits currency, fits government operations. It doesn't fit everywhere. And, you know, it, you get the CEO who calls and says, I want a blockchain and, and maybe he wants a blockchain for competitive reasons. Um, but that digital literacy and maybe just a little bit of application experience would help him pick whether that's the best application for his company or not.
0: Well, just the concept of a phone call. And I know, I know you're kind of paraphrasing, but Hey, I want a blockchain. Just that concept sounds like it's broken in terms of like fall in love with the problem. This is the thing we're trying to solve. We think that blockchain might be the solution, but we need someone to come in and help us work through versus getting too excited about, you know, a technology running around trying to find a problem to solve, which is not a new phenomenon.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's certainly, I've seen it all my whole career, you know, I've been through the cloud was really early and there wasn't a lot of infrastructure and now clouds everywhere.
0: I do appreciate our ability to get excited about things, you know, and then sometimes there's the gap and then the reality shows up. So, you know, I know you said, you know, not fair to talk about, you know, a certain sector, maybe certain industries. But when you look out kind of, you know, some of the RFPs you were talking about doing and, you know, the project that you're working on today that we talked about earlier, you know, overseas, where are we even in Canada in terms of our adoption of these technologies or, or, you know? Are we are we keeping up? Are we in the groove? Like where do we sit on a global stage from your perspective just like broad sweeping terms?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I look at some of the developing nations that we're doing work in, and certainly developing nations don't really have platforms that they're replacing. And yeah, well, so they're in a legacy stuff. They're in a situation now where they're looking at designing their platform for the future in order to gain some of the efficiencies that maybe we gained 10 years ago and mm. They can move to AI and blockchain and, and these emerging technologies initially, and they don't have to offset the cost of the system that they paid for 10 years ago. So it's allowing them to take a step ahead of us from, a, from an infrastructure perspective. And, you know, we'll see a big change in the world where Africa and the Middle East and South America um, will have many of these advanced technologies that maybe the Canadian government won't adopt for a number of years. And and part of that is just the the ROI on the project. If you have already got a, a system and your efficiency is 50% of the way there, are you ready to invest to get you the next 50% where if you don't have a platform at all, your efficiency is getting 100% of the way there for the same amount of money.
0: Uh, I think that's a really interesting phenomenon you touched on, kind of, you know, uh, the sunk cost uh, fallacy and all those different philosophies around, well, shit, we're already kind of, we're already committed on this, and we've invested and the, the, the foresight it takes to kind of cut that off and go net new. And like you said, have you, have you depreciated that thing down to zero yet? Or like, what does it look like? That's a really interesting mindset. I asked someone the question the other day, I said, you know, who's at a bigger advantage, like an enterprise with a big data set? Uh, or a medium-sized enterprise with smaller? And they, and they answered, as a group of developers, they said, well, we would answer the medium size because they're less invested, they've got less silos, they're more connected to what their data can do for them, so they're quicker to say yes because they can see the end and they're not, they don't feel like they're throwing away as much old investment as maybe a large organization that's got legacy systems that aren't talking to each other properly, but they're, get, they're getting by. I, I like that you brought that up. I've, I've heard that a few times just recently, actually. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I don't think that's a new phenomenon to today's machine learning and blockchain yeah, world.
0: Nope, fair enough. Yep.
1: You know, we've been implementing systems. I've been implementing systems for 30 years in different businesses. And, and it is a big investment for an organization to implement, particularly, you know, 10, 20, 30 years ago, an ERP system was always a multi-million dollar investment. The interesting phenomenon that we have today is that it's getting so simple to implement some of these applications that you're not looking at comparing a million dollar investment to a million dollar investment. You're looking at these little 60,000, 100,000, 250,000 dollar applications to take you to that next level. And the ERP systems um, may or may not have caught up in some of those areas. So they've, they've got a big legacy system that they spent hundreds of millions of dollars uh, developing in order to provide efficiency to a corporation and the corporation is out there exploiting that efficiency as much as they can but they can take huge leaps forward by integrating a, a machine learning application or a blockchain application and working with you know not only their ERP provider but and a small application company who's really got a, a great niche and a great product and And, you know, you look at some organizations and they jump right on board, large corporations, and they don't mind, you know, making that quarter million dollar investment to bring in the inexpensive app to solve a problem that their ERP system isn't solving. Uh, And then you got others who avoid that completely because they're afraid of the big data transition or they're afraid of um, the ERP integration. And, And that's, you know, part of that is, real because that's experience there. people have those experiences and some of those experiences have been good and some of them have been bad. And, you know, but at the same time, the world has changed and the iterative cycles of software development have reduced from these three, five multi-year projects down to these one year projects or less now. And if the organization hasn't followed suit with the industry, it'll certainly put them at a competitive disadvantage over time.
0: So it still ultimately comes down to the culture and the beliefs at the leadership level. And like I think you said, like these are past experiences that were hard won that weren't always positive. So it makes you gunshot. Oh, remember that time we tried that and then that happened. So then we, we learn, you know, you touch the stove and you burn your fingers. But like you said, that competitive disadvantage, once you get back on your heels with technology, it's, you can get leapfrogged. I Like you talked about some of these emerging countries and their ability to leapfrog because it's a hundred percent improvement for them versus what they had before, which was nothing. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I, I think, you know, the nice thing is that corporations can really start taking on some of these really small projects and, you know, drive down the initiative oversight to a smaller management level, where an ERP project, you know, I've done a number of ERP projects in my life, you really need the president and, and all the executives and everybody on board in the organization and it makes it very complex when you've got a thousand five thousand ten thousand employees where you know implementing a supply chain or administrative application you may be able to do that with a a team of 10 internal experts and your change management costs go down your your ability to you know try before you buy before you buy or before you spend too much goes up so mm-hmm.
0: but you get get those small incremental improvements but also help your team adapt. So what I'm hearing a theme throughout your our whole conversation like don't be shy to sign up for a 6-hour course to just to learn to get, you know, bite-sized pieces, don't try to boil the ocean all all in one shot here when it comes to emerging tech.
1: Yeah, I mean, I would as a tech company my guys are fairly well trained in tech, but um, you know, the organizations I've looked at before I wouldn't um I wouldn't take my uh, team and have them stay focused in their own silo. Take your finance team and say we're going to do some tech training. Let's call Sate up. Let's bring them in for six hours. You know we can do that over a couple of lunch times, or you know we can put people online and give them Tuesday afternoon off in order to take a basic blockchain or a basic machine learning course, and then give them an assignment at the end of the the program and let them put together a little project report, you know, we've done these uh, like the digital solutioning course is 24 hours of classroom time, but at the end of it, you actually are building out a digital solution, a trial digital solution. Um, And that allows people to actually sit back and think about, okay, if I'm applying blockchain machine learning, whatever the case may be, any of those five technologies that we're, we're covering, how would I apply that in my organization and what would that solution look like? And, you know, probably three or four hours of that 24 hours of training are sitting back and thinking about that. And there's a capstone project. And at the end, you know, your solution doesn't have to be perfect, but what we're trying to do is create that connection between an individual or a group of individuals and an organization to start thinking about, Here's the emerging technology, here's what I understand about it, and is it a fit for my business or not a fit for my business? Right. Right.
0: I do appreciate the roll up the sleeves approach uh, literally and physically of getting into like actually thinking about a problem just versus learning theoretical and relenting concepts over here at the ability to go, well, how would it really, how would it, what would it look like on a Tuesday when it's out of the light of day and how could it affect, you know, makes our life better or worse or hopefully better. Uh, so interesting. I do appreciate the willingness to try and kind of get out of our comfort zone and, and and learn enough that we can be a little bit dangerous in terms of coming up with ideas. Cause that just opens up different levels of thinking and our willingness to lean in these days and not be scared of technology but know that like i love the concept of just even literacy like you don't have to be a full stack developer to still understand and appreciate the role that these tech te- tech technologies are going to play in all of our lives quote-unquote whether we like it or not yeah and <laughs> say
1: Seat really reinforces that with us as a i guess a solution provider and an instructor coming in on some of these courses they're really pushing us to say how do we make it more practical you know let's not get too deep into the technology let's Really try to get deep on trying to make this practical. Let somebody think about how they can apply it in their work. And, uh, you know, I appreciate the way that Sate coaches us to do that as contract instructors. Appreciate that.
0: Right, because you're not necessarily full time educators. That's not necessarily what you guys do. But you also live in the world, real world of how these problems are getting solved and kind of what's getting, what you're getting asked is that future workforce and what and what people need. I've always, when I got to know SAID, and really got to understand their corporate training, all of their programs, but their willingness to reach out into the community and understanding of you know what used to take years to prepare a curriculum. Now you've got to get spooled up in a fraction of that, like everything you talked about. We don't have 18 months to get something to the market. We need th- we have three months, and how they partner with the with the community and with industry to really understand what's needed. Like you say, what's going to actually be relevant when these individuals then go out and, and you know, in the real world at whatever level that they're at after doing this.
1: Yeah. I mean, Sate did a really good job on this program from my perspective, when we came in and you know, we had the concept of the program, we brought the technical, we brought some of our already existing training materials, but they partnered us with a, a program manager who's an ex CIO here in the city and then they gave us an education specialist. And then, you know, the SAIT has uh, support groups where people can go and watch videos of some of the training or the pilots that we're running and come back and say, we would do this differently from an education perspective or a communication perspective. And, you know, over time, we refined that course down um, with the help of probably five or six educational experts who really didn't know much about blockchain or machine learning, but they know a lot about education. Right. And together we make a a pretty damn good team, putting together something.
0: (laughs) I appreciate the behind the scenes cuz I you know I've talked a lot about how they reach out to the community and they partner but understanding how iterative it is and almost people being able to watch it, give feedback, almost creating a little bit of a pilot, like test it and see how it works. Uh, it's interesting. I hadn't got into the nuts and bolts of you know what goes into creating a course when they bring in an external expert like you guys that arguably yeah, they don't know blockchain and you don't know education, you know, in the formal way that they do but putting that together. Yeah, I appreciate how iterative iterative that is and like anything, every time you teach you learn and vice versa, right? It's a, it's an endless it's an endless cycle of kind of feedback. Yeah. It's
1: been a lot of fun to work with them and, uh, and I've, I've enjoyed my experience at SAIT.
0: That's awesome to hear. Um, any, uh, any, any sneak a peeks, any previews of any courses you got coming down the pipe or, uh, or maybe plugs for things that you think we should get into the course mix down the road. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> cause I know Craig's going to be listening. I know Craig's going to be listening. So let's take advantage. Okay, of Okay.
1: Well, I mean, so I know Craig's always got things going on and, and Laura's got things going on there at Sate, and, the new digital school is just adding program after program after program. And yeah. Right now, what we're working on is uh, is a blockchain boot camp, which will actually okay. take an individual from zero programming experience to being a blockchain developer in about twelve weeks. And oh wow! Really, so awesome. you know, twelve weeks. Um, I think it's six hours a day of uh, classroom time two hours with an instructor, and then there's a couple hours of, you know, you off on your own practicing your programming skills. Um, and at the end of 12 weeks, you really got the basic foundations to go and work as an entry-level programmer. You've learned, you know, some of the basic JavaScript um, and that prepares you for Ethereum with solidity. So that those are two programming languages that are used in cryptocurrency. And then mm-hmm. you teach a little bit of Golang with a little bit of Hyperledger Fabric, which is really the the private, closed supply chain oriented blockchain, and and then a little bit of IoT. So I know you know we've been engaged to develop some of that curriculum for them. We've been working it over the last couple of months, and and uh, you know what does the delivery look on like that um, over the next couple of months? I'm not sure. SATE's going to have to determine that, but. Uh, you know I'm looking forward to it because hopefully we can we can get 20 people in the in a classroom and have 20 entry-level blockchain programmers at the end of the program who potentially I can pick from and the other blockchain yeah. organizations <laughs> in, in the city can pick from.
0: Absolutely. John, I, I appreciate your agenda of, of being very close to the source.. <laughs> Well, John, I really enjoyed your conversation today and the, and the perspective of, of, I really like the, you know, don't be scared to bite-size. And it sounds so obvious, but whether you're an organization or an individual, getting out there, improving your literacy, bringing your team together and like get that 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 those bonding moments between the different departments because of what it really takes for it to be successful at an organizational level. I think it's... it's, it's behooves us to think about all the things that need to change, not only the technologies, but the way we operate as organizations. And you know, for years, break down silos, it's not, it's not a new concept, but the more I talk to people about technology, it, it is clearly a make or break to implement anything of any scale to get everybody physically working together with bringing their own discipline to the table, which is, again, easy to say on a podcast, not always easy to do depending on the organization and what your culture is. Um, what's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Obviously, you're you're a man of many talents based on your on your LinkedIn. But if somebody wanted to reach out, a certain website, company email address, what? Yeah, do you got?
1: I mean, it's probably easiest to just to get me at blockchainguru.ca, um, and my email is John spelled J-O-N, no H in my name at blockchainguru.ca. But if you if you track us down on the website, you'll uh, you'll be able to link to all of us. All of our emails are on there.
0: Fantastic. Well, no, I always appreciate when people are willing to just put their email, put their email address into the world. John, best of luck with all the projects you're working on. I know you got an RFP cooking right now, so good luck, good luck with
1: that. And uh, thanks for all the info you shared today. I really appreciate it. Tyler, I appreciate the time and uh, talk to you again soon.
0: Absolutely.